This is the We Spin Recipes podcast with Andrew Apanov. Hello, friends. Andrew Apanov here with the We Spin Recipes podcast, as usual. Although today's podcast is not exactly usual in terms of the format, so for the first time ever I'm uh, releasing an interview conducted not by me, but a member of the Dot Music and the Wispin team. So our editor, Oscar, recently attended, on behalf of Dot Music, the music conference in Mamos, Sweden. And uh, by the way, it's uh, the event I highly recommend checking out to everyone, not only to those uh, located in Scandinavia and Europe. I'm thinking of attending it uh, uh, myself next year. Uh, so Oscar brought uh, several interesting interviews uh, from the event. You can read some of them on the datamusic.com blog. And... Uh, here we've got an interview with the uh, CEO of uh, Epidemic Sound, a very interesting company providing sync licensing services and uh, having a fairly unusual model. So um, I think you will find it interesting if you are anyhow interested in uh, income streams based on uh, music licensing. And um, yes, so uh, here we go. Uh, the audio was recorded at the venue itself, hence the audio quality. And uh, it's a bit shorter uh, than usual, but very informative. And towards the end of the interview, you will hear some very practical advices and tips for musicians. So hope you enjoy. And uh, here we go. Thanks for taking the time to do this interview. Thanks for having me. Oscar, tell us about Epidemic Sound. How did it come about? So, Epidemic Sound was founded back in 2009, 2010, mm -hmm. and it was born out of creativity. I think that we were frustrated on multiple levels. One, we were frustrated from a music composer side of things. It was difficult to get your music out there, it was difficult to get paid, and the world had pretty much turned into a lottery. Where some people got placement and syncs and were doing great, but equally talented people who fought equally hard and made fantastic music, they didn't get the sinks, they didn't get the breaks, and were unable to make a living. That was on the one side. On the other side, we saw that production companies and broadcasters around the world were struggling with that their business was changing, mm -hmm. their content, their shows, which include music, obviously, had to be used on several different platforms, so regular television, but internet as well, and on, on cell phones. And sometimes they got shown in different countries without through the broadcaster being able to steer that to some extent. Look at YouTube or Vimeo and, and cases like that. Um, and the old models that were around when it came to finding, clearing and using music in that context were very archaic and super difficult for a broadcaster to clear music for multiple usages on multiple platforms because there were so many right holders, so many middlemen and there were so many question marks. So we saw both on the demand side and the supply side there was a lot of creativity that was being held back by old systems, um, old uh, logics and old truths. And obviously at the same time Spotify launched and we saw that it was brilliant, we saw that it was good, it was simple, it was transparent, it was great for the artist, it was great for the listeners, it was a fantastic experience. And we set out to do something similar. We wanted to become almost like a Spotify but for professional producers of moving content where we wanted to supply the best music in the world which is specially catered to be used in audiovisual content. 
And in the process, we wanted to find a way where we could guarantee that musicians started making tons of money and where we could tie payment to their actual work mm -hmm. as opposed to if it got used or not. So that's, that's how it started. All right, yeah. How did you... You say you wanted to simplify the whole process with the sync licensing. Mm -hmm. how, do you, how do you do that? Well, typically there are a number of different uh, challenges when it comes to sync. One is often time. People are very pressed for time. Creative process is super uh, challenging to manage. You always tend to run out of time. And there's a time budget and also there's a money budget. And coming from the production side of things, we often saw that when they made TV shows, at the end of the production process, that's when they started to think about what kind of music do we want to use because then they know what the show actually looked like because they only had an idea up until that point. Typically, they had run out of money at that time. They had run out of time at that time. So in some instances, we saw that production companies were using less music because there, was, there wasn't enough money and there wasn't enough uh, time. So we wanted to find a model where we could make sure that we had a central agreement with a broadcaster or a production company where they pay us a fixed fee and we're happy with the fee because it's large enough to cover everything that we want to buy from the musicians and make sure that the business can go on uh, be an ongoing business and we completely changed the rules for the production company so instead of running out of time and running out of money they now had an agreement where they had access to our entire player over 25,000 tracks where we can we make about four or five hundred new tracks every single month and then suddenly, immediately, they had all the music they needed from day one. So they could sort of make some uh, different mock-ups. They could immediately talk to us if there was something that they needed. Um, seconds of use wasn't a cost driver anymore because you didn't tie the sync to individual seconds. Instead, there was a monthly fee, which is the sync. And so they could use as much or as little as they wanted. So what we saw instead was that there was more music being used in content because they felt the creative freedom. And we then could commission and buy even more music and the viewers could listen to even more music and we could launch even more new artists and there was more work for the creatives mm. so we turned into this super positive spiral which has just been growing like crazy yeah. now um, we started in Sweden uh, we're now in all the Nordic Scandinavian countries, all the big TV markets in Europe, we're growing in the US we're in New Zealand, Australia we're just up and running in Japan now so there's a lot of exciting stuff happening right, yeah. But I mean, since you have such a special concept, which you know, in a way, defies what came before, how was the you know initial response, and how did you create an interest? Um, that's a super interesting question, and there's a there's a number of ways I can answer that. I think the first thing that I need to be humble about is that what we do is not new. I mean, we obviously do royalty-free music, and it's been around for a super long time in Germany, in Sweden, UK, all over the place. But I think that what sets us apart is how we've gone about building our ecosystem, because it really is an ecosystem. I think one of the reasons why we've been so successful is that we have a situation where we have composers and musicians and producers who now are making tons of money. We have people who make over 100,000 crowns every single month working for us. Um, so we have a very happy and very vibrant creative community where we help each other out. We have workshops, we invite them, we fly them into Sweden, we invite sort of huge composers to talk about the process, we look at trends. Um, so we have that part of the business. Then we have the technical side of business mm. where we have a fantastic CTO who literally is a rocket scientist. He used to a, CTO, a chief technical officer um, who's the mastermind behind our, our technical platform. 
Um, and also we've created this super user-friendly product which is easy for editors to use. They find all the music they want, they can download it immediately. We have something we call stems, which is every single track and song we right. make. You have the instruments separated, so an editor can love a song but maybe just use the vocals or just use the bass or the drums or some part of a melody that we put together. Does, does, does that mean that the creators have to... They have to bounce and they have to deliver multiple uh, versions of a track. Oh, okay, yeah. So there's the full mix down and then they have all the different stems separated mm -hmm. and they have to be in perfect sync so that you can interchange between them. Okay. But that's a very standardized process, so it's, it's easy to do. Yeah. Um, so we have a creative ecosystem, we have the technical side, we have the TV production know-how, because many of the founders right. have been in the TV industry for a long time. Yeah, such as yourself. Yeah. I've been there for, for, for a while, and some of my co-founders have been there for a long time, and we know how you work when you make great television, yeah. and I think that also really helped us. What's the most in important lesson that you you know, took away from the yeah being in the TV production? Um, I think probably the most important one is to understand that time is the most crucial asset for everyone. Mm -hmm. um, in the sense that editors who cut the shows and put in the music are typically hired per day or sometimes even per hour because there are so few of them, they're so valuable. And so you need to make sure that when they're in the cutting room it's super effective. And we really catered to that. So we built a platform, a user interface. We put tons of time into just making it better and better and better. And it can always be better. Mm -hmm. But it's super fast. It's super easy. And we also have the same dialogue when we talk with our musicians and our composers. Because we know exactly what we want. We have so much data that gives us feedback. We go directly to composers and say, listen, we need five tracks. Here are some references. Give us a mock-up. Here's some feedback. This is what we want to do. Perfect, you've got it, give me three more. And so we have a very cool process where people can be super creative, they get guidance and help. And I think that understanding those two sides is something that we've been able to do because we know so much about what actually gets used. Hmm. All right, yeah. But you pay upfront to the artists and yeah. the creators, yeah. I mean, how does it work, you know, financially? Hmm. I mean, if you, like an artist submits songs that you, I mean, not sure that, they're not sure that you're going to use them. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, so, I mean, what if someone just sends in a load of yeah, yeah. things that aren't quality? Yeah. So let me tell you how that works. We've had roughly about 10,000 artists and composers and producers who have applied to Epidemic Sound. And I'm going to say that we work with about roughly 100 of them. So what that says is that um, we are not open for everyone. We encourage everyone to, uh, to talk to us and to reach out. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think we're very, uh, we're very honest and we also uh, try to be very compassionate. Mm -hmm. But we say that this is difficult. A lot of people want to try and do this, but it's super hard making production music. Mm -hmm. I think one of the reasons is with commercial music and a lot of vocals, sometimes you can use vocals to sort of, um, sort of help build or help yeah, hide a production yeah. which is maybe not fantastic. But since most of what we do is, most of it is non-vocal, we now do a lot of vocals as well and are looking for that. Um, it's very challenging. So we find that people are absolutely best in what they do. And we're looking for everything. People sometimes think that we only want typical TV music. Yeah. But we're looking for, uh, I mean, in instrumental, we're looking for, uh, I don't know the English word for it, but I mean, people playing flute, banjo, right, trip hop, right. dubstep, everything. Because we have 180 genres. So we oh. really want everything. 
and we want people to focus what they're really good at, mm-hmm. and then we buy that. Um, and so there's a screening process. We have a huge A and R section where people listen, coach, and give them feedback. Once you're accepted, you start writing tracks for us. Yeah. And the amount of money you get, it really depends. Because there are 180 different genres, mm. some people make sound effects. So knocking on a, on a, um, uh, yeah, on a yeah, table yeah, yeah. or on a glass, that's something that's super simple and that's going to earn you a little bit of money. Yeah. Uh, we have bands, we have full symphony orchestras who record stuff as well. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes the remuneration can range up to 10,000 crowns or even in some cases 15,000 crowns. <laughs> For the regular stuff and everything in between there, so from like three, four, five thousand crowns yeah. up to ten, fifteen thousand, depending on what kind of track. Okay. And this is for normal music, and what we do is we buy that and we own it. We put it in our library. We don't know if it's ever going to be used, hmm. so we take the risk, and the composer always gets paid, regardless if it get, if it gets used or not. Yeah. And there's also a mechanism in there to protect the composer, because what we say to the people who we license our music is. You're free to use this music in normal productions where it gets used to a fairly small extent. If you want to use this in a massive ad campaign, or if you want to use it as the vignette for the 10 o'clock news or for something that's going to run every single day on a big TV channel for a very long time, that's special usage. And then we negotiate an extra sync, so we get more money, and then we share that with the composer again. So even though the composer has sold it to us, we own it, we have this protection in there so they can make more money from tracks if people say that we want to use this track in a special situation. All right, all right, yeah. And then on top of that, we also do bespoke stuff. So a lot of our customers come to us and say, yeah, listen, that's great, but I want to order something special which is exclusive for just this show or just this product. And we say, great. And then we give them a completely different budget. And in some cases, we can be talking about millions of crowns. And then we go to our composers, they write that, and then we give the majority of the money to the composers. All right, yeah. But how many people... But that's a much smaller yeah. part. Okay. How many people do you have that, uh, you know, curates the music, and, you know? So we have a team now of... Um, there are five people in the professional sort of in-house listening group. Yeah. And then we have a few external people who help us as well. So these five people have about roughly 20 people each who they work with. They have listening meetings every week where they sit, listen and go through... Um, all the music that's coming in, the references, what we're looking mm-hmm. for. We do a lot of data mining because obviously in our systems we can see what all the professional editors around the world are looking for oh, okay. and what they're downloading. So we know if uh, dubstep is sort of taking off in the UK and mm-hmm. we can start producing that before it becomes popular in Scandinavia. We know if soft melancholic first aid kit music is becoming popular in Sweden and then we can sort of right. understand, okay, this is currently a trend. Mm-hmm. So we can use that kind of information. Okay. What decides, you know, what the budget is going to be? Is it the uh, the program? No, it's never the program. Oh. Um, when it comes to the budget, um, as we we buy music, like I said before, maybe four to five hundred tracks every single month, yeah. regardless of how many customers we add every single month, because we're constantly growing. Mm. Excuse me, our library. Um, so we set all the budgets, we say what we need to do, and it's based on what kind of stuff we're looking for. Like I said before, when you cover 180 different genres, yeah. different kinds of genres have different price because they're different difficulties. We also look at uh, the level of complexity, uh, sort of the quality of the um, both the production, but also the composition, and what kind of instrumentation, how many people you have to involve to make mm-hmm. this track, if it's a vocal track or not. 
Um, there's also prior history. People who work for us for a long time, obviously, so you earn your stripes as you yeah. go as well. Um, so there are a number of different factors. Yeah. Um, but we, we tend to find that people often don't want to leave working for Epidemic. Uh, initially, we thought, when we launched the company, we thought it was about money. We said that, listen, we're going to do something completely different in the music industry. We're going to put all our money where our mouth is. We're going to pay up front for everything. And we thought that that would be fantastic. People like that. But what they like even more is the sense that there's a community. Because it turns out, obviously we knew this, but being a composer can be very lonely. A lot of people are at home when they record or they're, they're not sort of in a group, they're not in a context. Yeah. And it's super tough to be creative, to be professional, to be diligent when you don't have an environment where a lot of other people give you energy and stuff. Yeah, feedback or such. And feedback as well. So it, what we did in our group, because we have dedicated listeners, we email, we talk to our, friend, uh, our composers, our family all the time, we send references, we give heads up on plugins, all of our A&R people are super uh, talented composers and producers themselves who have produced and toured with many of the biggest bands in the mm -hmm. world, um, so they can give super relevant context and feedback. So we, f we work with great people, but we're fortunate enough to offer a context so they can become even better. All right, all right. Some cases they want to diversify and do other stuff. In other cases, they just want to deepen into a, sec a section where they've been sort of focused and they mm -hmm. become even more skilled. Okay. Hmm. What's the biggest challenge of your job? Um, the biggest challenge of my job is branding. Mm -hmm. And I say that because um, what we decided to do initially is we decided to stay outside of the old traditional music model which is you go through a collecting society. In some countries they're called PROs. Um, examples are Steam or GEMA and PRS and organizations like that. We have an immense amount of respect for them. They're super important and they do a fantastic job. But we've chosen to create an alternative. And in doing that, people think that we're super disruptive, that we're super different, and that there automatically has to be something wrong with us. Because we get branded as royalty-free music. And we're definitely not royalty-free. All our business is about copyright. We protect it, we guard it. It's at the core of what we do. But we've chosen not to do it through uh, PROs. We want to do that ourselves because we feel technology and society and people and creators are at a point where this is something that the market and people want. And so because we get labeled as a royalty-free library, people tend to say that we're substandard, sub-quality, they don't want to have anything to do with us, and people are skeptical. So my biggest challenge, obviously, is addressing that by All being right. as transparent as I can about talking about stuff like this. Yeah. You're not going to hear... I mean, you, you don't hear a lot of other people giving other people as much detail about what we do yeah, as we like to do because we do great stuff. And I feel super motivated and dedicated towards the composers that we work with today to send out the message so people really understand what it is we do. Because they feel super proud about what we do. So do we. Mm. But a lot of people in the creative and the composer and, and the production community, they're skeptical. And most of the time it's because they don't know what we do because other people try and project pictures of us oh. on us and give yeah. us a label. So that's what I'm fighting. That's my biggest challenge, mm. to be super transparent and just show people. This is what we, there's a reason why we've had one composer who's left us mm. out of the hundred we now work with. And he left to go work for a big publisher. We threw a massive party. We were super happy for him. And we think that's great. We love that. So we really want to be like a catalyst. We want to sort of help people in the creative mm. process. 
I mean, some people work with us, uh, I mean, and they make several tracks per week, and some people make one track per year. It's completely up to them. Mm-hmm. But our ecosystem is always there. You get the feedback, you get, uh, we have different internal blogs, yeah. where we put up lots of stuff, and we have workshops, and we do mixing studios, and we do uh, recording things, and we do compositions, and we have a lot of stuff like that. So getting that message out there, that's my yeah. biggest challenge. Okay, okay. But in order to, as an artist or composer, to be more uh, eligible or, say, attractive to, uh, you know, a sync licensing company such as Epidemic Sound, what, uh, yeah, what should one do? Because I think there are a number of things you can think about. Um, one is to be professional. And I mean that in the sense that uh, if you have a meeting, show up on time. Um, if you're sending emails, make sure that there's a written in the right way at the right time so that people can take you seriously because being professional is super important a lot of the most creative the most successful people I know are incredibly professional which actually surprises me a bit Um, number two is uh, be good at taking feedback because the real real great people I know are super modest and they're great at taking feedback They, they, they throw something out there most of the time it's fantastic some of the time it's not and when the people we work a lot with, our A&R can talk to them and say, this is great, this is not so great. Yeah. And they listen, they redo it, they come with alternatives. They're good at taking positive, constructive mm. feedback and turning it into something positive. Because not only is it a necessity that you have to be able to talk to someone, mm-hmm. but you as a composer or as a producer, you come out as much more professional if I feel that I can talk to you right. and you bring something back, which is even better. Because yeah, you've just yeah. proven that you're much wider than the stuff you already have shown you can deliver. Mm. Uh, that's great. And the third one, I think, is maybe um, try and be active. I mean, meet people. Make sure you have a network. If you're not a people's person, so you're not good at chit-chatting and talking to people, be an online person. Make yeah. sure you post stuff, that you're aware of things. Um, and be humble without being shy. All right, right. You do that. Okay, last question. Cool. Why is it called Epidemic Sound? Mm. Epidemic Sound was... Um, was a name that we uh, came up with back in 2009, 2010. Mm-hmm. Um, we think it works really, really well because obviously what we're doing, you see sound waves, they spread everywhere. Um, we decided to start in Scandinavia. We decided to start with television. Yep. And then we said that from there we want to grow to other countries, to other territories, to other kind of work. As an epidemic. Yeah, so yeah. it spreads very well. Um, it's also great. I mean, we ourselves don't use that name that much. We more say epi. Mm-hmm. Um, and so over time who knows if it's going to change around a bit but it's, uh, it's our name, we love it and um, we're spreading as fast as we can yep. alright, thanks for your answers anything to add? Um, no, um, other than that if anything I'd love to encourage people if, if they're curious about what we do obviously just go to epidemicsound.com yep. constantly looking for talent uh, you always get replies from us. Uh, if nothing else, I mean, you can get feedback on your work, which is going to be super valuable. And um, yeah, you're probably going to hear us soon on the TV station or an online or uh, on the YouTube channel soon. All right, cool. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Oscar. So this is it. Thanks to both Oscars for the insightful interview, and I hope that you, the listener, enjoyed this podcast. Please. Let me know what you think of uh, the format because we are planning to get some guest interviewers involved for some of the upcoming episodes. 
and uh, staying in touch. We've got uh, a number of new episodes coming out in the nearest future. And uh, as a reminder, this particular interview was conducted at the music conference in Malmo. So you can find a link to, uh, to the events in the show notes. Thank you for listening and till next time. You have been listening to the We Spin Recipes podcast. Learn how we can help you improve your music career at wespin12.com. We Spin 12.